재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 During the nuclear security summit held in Washington, D.C. last week, world leaders voiced their collective fears over the possible theft of nuclear weapons and weapons-grade material that are being stored in various locations around the globe. And to learn more about what can be done to prevent them from falling into the wrong hands, we're very pleased to have joining us from the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Malcolm Craig. Hello. Hi, good morning from Scotland. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Craig. Uh, this recent nuclear security summit, can we get your assessment overall? Uh, do, you f- do you feel that there were some advancements made as far as various pledges or agreements? Uh, I mean, it's definitely been uh, interesting, the, the outcomes of it, whether uh, anything concrete is actually going to stem from it in terms of uh, you know, new movement on, on nuclear terrorism, for example, uh, remains to be seen. But certainly uh, it was interesting to see various Uh, nations such as the United States kind of committing themselves once more uh, to combating the perceived threat of nuclear terrorism. Now, as far as the overall global security infrastructure is concerned, do you believe it is adequate, um, for example, security services in places like major ports and and border crossings where there is a fear that uh, certain rogue elements could smuggle in uh, nuclear materials? Uh, well, intelligence services, I think, historically have actually been quite successful in tracking and intercepting uh, attempted nuclear smuggling. Uh, I mean, the real heyday of this was in the, in the mid-90s, uh, when considerable amounts of, of weapons-grade material were intercepted. Uh, but some scholars argue that there are kind of places around the world, uh, for example, Russia and Pakistan, uh, where there are risks of diversion of nuclear material to terrorists. Uh, despite the International Atomic Energy Agency keeping records of attempted nuclear smuggling, there's no actual evidence that any nuclear materials have actually reached terrorist groups, uh, although it would be pretty difficult to either kind of buy or steal uh, nuclear materials to make a weapon and then transfer them from the territory they were intended, obtained in. I mean, given the inherent difficulties and dangers of carrying fissile material and you know, the actual risks of being caught at a port of exit, either a seaport or an airport, What do you think um, needs to be done further as far as not just, uh, I suppose, the aspect of smuggling, but the risk of uh, possible theft? We know that there are very stringent security measures in place in countries like the United States, but perhaps in places where uh, the security structure is not as uh, perhaps as tight. um, Is that a legitimate concern in your view, Dr. Craig? I, th- I mean, I think there is a legitimate concern over uh, you know, the security of nuclear nuclear facilities. I mean, there are various international measures to try and address these issues. The, the 1980 Convention on the Physical Protection of Nuclear Materials, which was updated in 2005, uh, which you know makes it legally binding for state parties to the convention to protect nuclear facilities and material and peaceful domestic use and storage and transport and all these kind of things, and for expanded cooperation uh, between states regarding you know, vapid measures to lo- locate and recover stolen or smuggled nuclear material. Well, however, not all countries in the world adhere to that convention. There's also United Nations Security Council Resolution 1540 from 2004, which commits states to greater physical security of nuclear materials, and the Global Initiative to Combat Nuclear Terrorism, uh, which is a partnership of about 90 nations set up by uh, George W. Bush and Vladimir Putin in 2006, 
to enhance export controls and improve physical security and increase intelligence gathering. Uh, so these are all the kind of uh, international agreements that are in place to try and combat this. But regarding your uh, question, I think like all terrorism-related topics, intelligence before the event is mm. absolutely vital. I mean, physical security of nuclear facilities is obviously very important, uh, but that's essentially a last line of defence. Uh, any attempts to gain access to nuclear materials should hopefully be stopped by improved intelligence gathering uh, before they get anywhere near fences, guard dogs and security guards. But right. the problem, I think, with, with analysing this uh, from an academic uh, or kind of journalistic point of view is assessing nuclear security can be difficult because of the secrecy surrounding nuclear weapons and surrounding nuclear facilities. Now, when we talk about fears of nuclear attacks, uh, as you know well, uh, our listeners are here in Korea and North Korea is often in the news when we talk about nuclear weapons and the fears are certainly real. Now, whether someone believes North Korea is a rational state actor or not, I think there is a consensus that the the regime is not suicidal uh, in terms of trying to engage in a provocation with nuclear weapons that would result in their own demise. However, uh, do these rogue states with the possession of this kind of material pose a risk in terms of having perhaps some proliferation take place with these people who are not part of the international committee in terms of um, events like the nuclear security summit? I think that's uh, exceptionally unlikely that, uh, that a state possessing nuclear weapons would ever hand them over to a non-state actor. I mean, essentially, it would get tracked back to them. And, and thus they would suffer many of the same reper- repercussions if they had uh, you know, carried out their own nuclear mm. attack. Uh, with nuclear terrorism uh, as a concept has a, has a very long history. I mean, in the 1960s, actually, interestingly, the nuclear terrorism in the United States, uh, from an official point of view, uh, was seen as the Soviet Union smuggling a bomb into the U.S. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't really associated with non-state actors. And it was only in the 70s that we saw concerns emerge about non-state actors gaining access to nuclear weapons or materials. Uh, And at the end of the Cold War, actually, in the the 1990s, we saw one of the most successful uh, anti-nuclear terrorism policies, the Comprehensive Threat Reduction Program, which consolidated former Soviet warheads in more secure and fewer locations, consolidated uh, nuclear materials that were scattered about the former Soviet Union. And that was a very successful program in trying to keep what became called loose nukes out of the hands of non-state actors. Uh, So I think it's actually unlikely that a state, whether it be uh, North Korea or Pakistan, Mm. would provide a nuclear weapon uh, to any non-state actor. Well, uh, from what I'm aware, this is this was the fourth and final nuclear security summit uh, for the U.S. President Barack Obama. It's a very important part of his legacy. Uh, Vladimir Putin had signaled that he had no interest in attending this uh, long beforehand. How important is it that the U.S. and Russia uh, try and cooperate on this issue? Oh, I mean, I think it definitely is a very important I mean, issue. But I mean, I think fundamentally, building an atomic bomb is a very serious scientific and technical challenge, and most non-state actors are not going to have the security, the territory, the know-how, or access to materials to actually construct a functional nuclear weapon. I mean, it's not to say it's impossible, but the risks might be slightly overstated. I think one of the main concerns is to do with non-state actors using radiological material to create a so-called dirty bomb, Mm. a large dimensional bomb designed to spread radioactive material. It's within the realms of possibility, but we don't have any evidence at the moment that non-state actors 
are building such weapons and any evidence that they're looking to build such weapons is, right. is fragmentary. Uh, however, I think in the case of uh, the cooperation between Russia and the United States, I think it's, it's possible and possibly vital. I mean, during, again, turning back to the Cold okay. War, the USA and the USSR demonstrated that they could set aside differences when faced with a serious problem of nuclear proliferation and eventually right. set up the, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is the backbone of the current non-proliferation regime. Okay. Uh, and that remains a fundamental thing. They also cooperated in 2006, as I mentioned, right. on the Global Initiative to Combat Nuclear Terrorism. So I think, certainly, it's a matter of political will and the impact of a huge range of other factors. Okay. We're going to have to leave it there. Dr. Craig, thank you very much for joining us. No, no, thank you for your time. Soul City News up next.